As Ethan mentioned, we're in the midst of a series on Psalms. Uh, Psalms are uh, a place that we can go to, a place that it is like a prayer uh, that, that we can find in, in so many different chapters in Psalms. If you uh, at times have uh, strong feelings, times where times of great highs, times of especially in times of discouragement or anger, uh, there can be a sense where it can be hard to be difficult to find the right words to use to express that. There can be a, a sense of you have this feeling inside and how is it that I can share this with someone else and there's no word that seems to quite match what I'm feeling. And there's a sense of, of isolation that can come with that. Uh, a sense of feeling like I can't really communicate quite what's going on in my heart, and so nobody really understands what, what I'm going through, and uh, they don't get the full picture of what I, what's happening. And what I want to encourage is Psalms is a place that we can go to and find that. Psalms is a place that we can go to and we can uh, see words that can describe what we're going through. It can help us find the right words to use as we, as we pray, as we talk to God, and we can see that we're not alone in these experiences, that other people before us have gone through this. And it's a place that we can find a lot of comfort and a place that can model for us of how do we relate to God through these seasons of big highs and big lows. The passage that we're doing today, it's actually been, um, personally for me, uh, um, the season that, that I find myself in. And I'd like to share with you a little bit uh, in today's message, a little bit about what that looks like for me. Um, it's, it's a passage that if I'm going to be truthful, uh, I don't really want to preach on. Uh, it's, a, it's a passage that I feel like I have to preach a little bit ahead of myself uh, and describe I still feel like I'm in the midst of this and I have to do, kind of preach to myself and say this is what the passage is saying and I need to hold on to it firmly. Um, Ray Ortland, the, the pastor and author, he describes this passage, Psalm 73, and he says, Psalm 73 is an awakening word for real people living real lives in hard but good times. This, this passage is a passage that it's written about a man who looks at the world around him and he says, I see myself suffering and hurting even though I'm being faithful to God. And why does it seem like wicked people around me have it so good? Why does it seem like bad things happen to good people and good things happen to bad people? Why, why does this happen? Why, does God not punish those that are, that are wicked? Why does it seem like they get to experience so much of his blessing while I'm struggling myself? It's, it's not fair. And this is a psalm that's written by a man named Asaph. He is a contemporary of King David. We don't know very much about him, but we know that he was, he was a worship leader from uh, the tribe of the, the Levites. Uh, he was involved in temple worship, and, and he... Uh, led the Israelites in worship, and this was one of his reflections. And all is not well for him, and he comes to a place where you could even say he's disillusioned in his faith. But he says, I look around and I say, why do I not experience God's blessings? But the people who are faithless seem to experience it instead. 
We're going to read in, starting in, in verse 1, and if you want to follow along uh, with me. Uh, in the, the very first couple verses here, he starts off by saying, I know in my head that God is good, but my experience seems to show otherwise. He says in verse 1, Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They had no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. And he continues like this, and he says, they have so many blessings. Life is so good for them. They're so comfortable. They have everything that you would want. It seems like God has really blessed them. And yet, I'm trying to be faithful to God, and I know in my head that God is good. I know that he blesses us. I know that he cares for us. I know he is a good God, but why is, why is this like this? Why am I struggling? Why am I hurt while it seems like life is so good for other people who aren't faithful to God? He's discouraged, and he, he asks the question of, ultimately, what good, what does my faith add? Why is, why is life better with my faith in God if it seems like people who don't share in faith have life so much better and they prosper so much more? Why cling to God? St. Augustine, a church father in the, in the 5th century, he writes in uh, Divine Providence in Human Suffering, he says and asks the question, the same thing, why do good people suffer and the wicked enjoy so much fortune. Why do, why, do, why do good things happen to bad people and bad things happen to good people? And then as he reflects on this, he says it doesn't even make sense because the opposite is true. There's it's not even like there's consistency. There's still good things that happen to good people and bad things that happen to bad people. Like it doesn't even make sense. Why, why do our circumstances seem to have no bearing on our faithfulness to God? Why is it that I can be so faithful and maybe something good happens, maybe something bad happens, but does God not do something? Is God not active? Is he not providing for me? Or is he, is he punishing the bad people? Like, what, where, where is God doing in these circumstances? Because I can't tell. I can't discern where God is moving based on my, my actions, based on my faithfulness to God. And part of what this, this reflection reveals to us is sometimes when we go through suffering and when we're hurting, we can blame ourselves and think, God must be punishing me. There must be something that, that's going on in my life that God is punishing me and, and angry at me for. And so God is judging me because of this is what happened to me. And so we can think, I'm suffering because there must be some sort of sin that I've brought, and, and that's brought this punishment upon me. And we can view God like this and think, God is a judge who is looking at me, ready to punish me as soon as I step out of line. I said that this, this passage is, is personal for me. Um, you know, my wife and I, we have, we have one son, um, and he, it was, it was difficult for us 
um, to get pregnant. Um, it was a slow process for us, and we had a lot of people around us praying for us, and uh, we, we were finally able to, to get pregnant. We had our son. We named him Samuel. Samuel means heard by God. And this was a name that I thought, I thought, when I see my son, I am going to be reminded that God hears us. You know, and since then, we've wanted to expand our family. And, and we're waiting. This season, it, instead of being difficult to get pregnant, um, the challenge has been holding on to the pregnancy. And we have a family of three that's here. Um, we have a family that's larger that's in heaven. I, I look at God and I say, God, why do you let this happen? Why is it that I look at other people who seem to not even care about you and they seem to have as many kids as they want? Why, why does this happen? God, it's not fair. Why, why would you do this to us? We've been faithful to you. And this is a passage that I feel like this is my heart right now. And it's so easy in these times to think, did I do something to cause this? Is this my fault? My wife and I, we ask each other this question, and we think, did we upset our God? Is our God angry with us? Is our God judging us? Do we bring this upon ourselves? And so God is actually looking at us and saying, this is what you deserve. We see this question actually happen with, before Jesus. In John 9, excuse me, John 9, Jesus is walking through a city and he comes across a man who was blind, uh, who was blind from birth. And as his disciples ask him this question, they look at this man and they say, did this man sin or was it his parents? Like, was the cause of his blindness, was it his sin or is he being punished for what his parents did? And Jesus' answer is simple. He says, neither. This, is it. this, this it wasn't because of the sin of the, of the parents. This wasn't because of his sin. The difficult things like this happen, and it's not because God is angry with us. It's not because we have faith. Sometimes it's not even because we don't have faith. That there's suffering, and these things happen, and these are a part of our life. And it's very easy to view our faith and say, well, what's the point then? Why, why even be faithful if, if it's not going to affect my life? If I, can have, if I can prosper or I can struggle, then why even be faithful? And in this passage in Psalm 73, Asaph, the, the author, he says, I am disillusioned in my faith because I look, at the, I look at the arrogant, I look at the faithless, and they have it so good that I want to give up. This is where his heart is. But Asaph, to his credit, he does the one thing that he needed to do 
is he goes to the one place he needed to be. And we, as we go to verse 16, we see where that place is. He says in verse 16, when I tried to understand all of this, it troubled me deeply till I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their final destiny. The one place he needed to go was to the sanctuary. So the one place he needed to bring his disillusionment was before God, this place of worship, the place where during this time, this was where you would go to be with God. And he brings it there, and he says, I'm bringing my disillusionment that I'm going before God, and I'm speaking to God and saying, I don't get why this is happening. It's not fair. It's not right. Why don't you do something, God, about this? And he brings this before him. Later in the passage, let me read to you some of the words that he uses to describe himself. In verse 21, he describes himself as grieved and embittered. The next verse, he describes himself as senseless and ignorant. And this is more in reflecting after the fact. And my, my favorite one, he describes himself as a beast before God. Like he's speaking to God harshly, critically, unrefined. It's as though he doesn't know God and doesn't know revelation about God, and so he speaks to him critically and unrefined. There's no polish to his words. And he says, I'm like a beast before God that I'm going to speak to him fully in what's in my heart, and I'm not going to hold back. I'm not going to refine what I'm going to say. And there is a harshness to his words to God that he is grieved and he's bitter. But he does, he goes to the one place he needed to go. He brought those things to the sanctuary, to the place before God, and he said, This is how I feel. So easy for it, it is for us when we're in this place to think the last place that I want to go is before God and bring this to him. Because because why? He's, he's shown in what I see that it doesn't seem like he acts or does anything. But Asaph says, no, the one place I do need to go and the one place I do need to bring this to is before God. And he says, as I do this, I have a, I'm given a perspective of eternity. I'm given a perspective of hope that, that God will redeem things. That things don't make sense right now. But someday they will. John Calvin writes about this, and he says, In this world, God seldom or never gives his servants the fulfillment of what is promised them, and therefore has directed their minds to his sanctuary, where the blessings not exhibited in the present shadowy life are treasured up for them. He says, he says God has promised so much to us, but there's so much of it that we won't yet experience today. He says, but what God asks for us is to direct our minds to the sanctuary, to bring those, those feelings and that frustration, that disillusionment before God. And he says, because those things that, that we have yet to experience, those are being treasured up for us, and we will someday. In the context of eternity, we will experience these things. There will be redemption. There will be restoration. There will be healing for what happens. 
there will be God's grace and God's justice that will be shown. Wrongs will be righted. In the, in the context of eternity, there will be perspective on, on how this happens on what, and why God does this. When we look in Revelations 21, he describes it like this. He says, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. God will bring comfort. God will bring healing. And we will get to experience this. You know, I, I think of the passage that we did last week when we talked in Psalm 62 where, where he advocates for pouring out your heart to God. And here he says that Asaph does the same thing. He pours out his heart to God and he pours out disillusionment in him. Pours out bitterness and anger. He's a beast before God sharing these things. And if you can imagine the importance of doing this, imagine if, imagine, for example, if you had, if you knew you had a cavity, going before the dentist, going to the dentist, the dentist is the one person who can fix it, but imagine saying, I'm, I'm good, look at all the other teeth, you know, they're in great shape, I actually do floss, like everything's good, I brush regularly, just don't, don't look at that one and there's a sense that that can, can be how we relate to God. That we say, God, look, I, everything is great. I'm so thankful for how you've blessed me with this, and I'm, I'm doing this, and I trust you in this way, and you've, I've experienced your faithfulness over here. But the one thing that we do need to talk about, the elephant in the room, we want to minimize and we want to ignore. And just, you know, don't worry about that. That's, it's ugly, and I don't want, to, want God to see that. Or I shouldn't feel bitter or angry at God, so I need to brush that aside. And instead of bringing the, our wound before someone, the doctor who can heal it, we hide it from him. And this isn't what, he, this isn't what we see in this passage. And so we need to be careful as Christians not to put a positive spin on things, not to, not to sterilize things, you know, sometimes a common phrase that, that we say when, when something difficult happens is we say, you know, don't, don't worry, God will use this for your ministry going forward. And when you hear that, when you're the one going through something, it tell, what it communicates is God doesn't care about my suffering. I'm just a tool for God to use in, in his plan he doesn't care about me and what I'm going through. And we need to be careful about some of these things that we can say that ultimately communicate that, that God doesn't really care about us. And we, and we clean things up and minimize kind of the suffering and our frustration with, with God. This passage tells us it's okay to talk to God like this. That it's okay to be a beast before God. Sharing with God, it helps us find an eternal perspective, but it's important for us to bring honesty. The true reward for our faithfulness is how it shapes our relationship with God. Near the end of this passage, we see him saying, and when we bring honesty before God, the reward that we get is intimacy. 
In verse 26, he says, My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far away from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all of your deeds. It says our reward for, for being faithful to God, it's not the prosperity that, we'll, that we may or may not experience. It's the intimacy that we can have with God. That we can speak with this God safely and, and vulnerably. We can say, say things that are, are harsh and he can still hear us and he can still be with us. He's a God who can understand us and see beyond our words. He's a God that will sustain us and provide comfort. Some of the other things he says in this passage, he uses phrases like, he says, I am always with you. It's like wherever I go, God is still with me. You hold me by my right hand. You guide, guide me with your counsel. You bring me into glory. There's an the aspect of this of anticipation where he says, I know that that there will be a fulfillment and a culmination of this intimacy that I can have with God. That I can relate with God more intimately today, but it's going to grow and be more exponentially in the future, and there's something I can anticipate about this. Going back to Revelation 21, it says, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. This, this intimacy we have, we will be with God face to face. We will be able to see him. We will be able to talk with him. There is an anticipation that we can have that, that we, as much intimacy that we can have with God today, it's going to be so much more in the future, and we can anticipate that. Uh, the author Pierre Wolf, he writes, uh, when speaking of praying and speaking to God honestly, he says, if I really believe that all I have is yours, I have to give over to the Lord all that I have, including my feelings as they are now and not as I, was, as I would like them to be. Says, if I really am going to say that all I have is yours, if I really want to surrender everything to God, then the way that, and what I'm giving to God is are things in their current state. I'm not going to try to clean myself up first. I don't need to get my act together first, and then be then it'll I'll be worthy of giving myself to God. But I'm going to give myself as I am now. I'm going to bring myself before God in my current state, and those include my feelings that I have and my, even my feelings towards him. That I'm going to bring my bitterness before God, that I don't need to resolve my bitterness myself and then approach him, but I bring these things before him and I say, God, this is, how I, this is where I am. This is how I feel. I need you. He continues and he says, this will signify our belief that he can see the depth of our wounds beneath the harshness of our expression. 
that his fantastic love can accept without judgment or condemnation his child who has been hurt so badly that he can work with that hurt as he did with the murder of his, his own son and that he can produce grace from it. He says here that we can bring these things before God and God is able to see the wounds beneath the harshness of our words. And as God sees that and as he cares for that and heals it, there will be grace that comes from it. There will be intimacy that we can have with God because of it. And so he says, bring these things before God and allow God to heal them. Allow God to see them, to relate to them, to love those wounds and allow them to be healed. And there will be grace and intimacy that results from it. God has not overlooked our suffering. And it's important that we relate to him honestly in it. Psalm 73, this is a passage written by, by a man, Asaph, who, who looks at the world and just and says, God, why do you let this happen? Why do you let good things happen to bad people? And why am I struggling so much? I'm being as faithful as I can to you. And he's faithful, he struggles, and he says, God, why do the wicked have it so good? But he sets an example for us, and he says he brings his discouragement and his disillusionment before God, and he relates to God in it. He relates to God with honesty, though it is harsh, and he allows God to, to see those things and to love him. God will provide us intimacy and God will be near us and draw near to us in these times. Willem van Gemmeren, uh, Old Testament scholar, he says the pro of this passage, he says the problem of suffering, of the suffering of the righteous has no clear resolution. But the pain is relieved by the experience of God's living presence. So that's what this passage teaches us. We don't get the answer now of why. It's something we can anticipate getting someday. But he says what we get now is we get intimacy with God. And the intimacy that we get with God, it's going to, to culminate in the future as well. And so that's what we hold on to. And that's why we endure in faithfulness. Because God will be with us and God can hear us. Let me pray for us.